This episode is sponsored by Gentex Corporation. Gentex is a longtime supplier of electro-optical products for the global automotive, aerospace, and fire protection industries. Visit www.gentex.com to check out the latest in digital vision, connected car, and dimmable glass technologies. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Shift, a podcast about mobility. I'm your host, Pete Bigelow. Hi, everyone. It's Leslie Allen. Welcome to the show. Joining us on today's show, which is dedicated to the topic of self-driving trucks, uh, we're joined by Finch Fulton, the Vice President of Policy and Strategy at Locomation, and Andrew Smith, CEO at Outrider. Leslie, uh, what, what is Outrider all about? Well, you know, Outrider is really, really a very interesting company. It's based out in Golden, Colorado. And what they do is they have these autonomous trucks that they sell to companies to help them move heavy cargo through distribution yards. Apparently, um, it's a part of the supply chain that we really don't think about a lot, but they they are pretty much, as far as we know, out there all by themselves um, offering autonomous technology inside these uh, inside yard operations. So um, it'd be really interesting to hear how they got into this particular niche in the uh, trucking industry and where that's going to go from here. You know, supply chain, it's so interesting, Leslie. Obviously, we've been writing about self-driving technology for a long time, but in the last year with the supply chain complications and labor shortage, I think it's it's really, uh, you know, brought self-driving trucking in, in many ways to the forefront versus other applications. And that is, of course, the subject of our latest Shift magazine, which drops today. Uh, So our readers will find, our listeners and readers will find a whole lot about uh, self-driving trucks in this issue, which contains uh, any number of stories. What what are we going to find inside those pages? Well, I think one of the best pieces that we have in the magazine, and uh, Pete, I'm going to have to um, put you on Front Street here, was a very nice, comprehensive, four-page look at the companies that are the major players right now in autonomous trucking. I mean, everything from Aurora to Waymo, literally. (laughs) We go in alphabetical order and we look at these different companies and our different approaches to um, automating the journey. And um, so it's almost one of those we used to call kind of clip and save type pieces uh, <laughs> that, that I think um, people will really enjoy and be very educational. We also have um, profiles of other companies. Pete, you have a really interesting story about your experience at Torque Robotics, actually riding in an autonomous truck. Uh, we take a look at some um, supplier innovations that are going on. One story that I thought was particularly interesting is about why we're not seeing a lot of talk about battery electric uh, large trucks, class eight trucks, because generally the, the technology that's seen as most promising is fuel cells and not so much battery electric. And so we're going to talk about some of the 
some of the few uh, projects that are going on in battery electric and why fuel cells are considered a better use case when it comes to electrifying large trucks. So um, that'll be something that um, I'm sure people will be talking about. Another one of my favorite stories is the rise of electric garbage trucks. I, I honestly did not know that was the thing. And so we're looking at several cities are, if you really think about it, Pete, I mean, that's a really good use for electrification because you know exactly where the trucks are going to be. You know how long the routes are going to be. They're going to be idle for a certain amount of time where they can be charged. So um, why not use electrification that way? Yep. I think you're spot on, Leslie. I think uh, electric and autonomous technologies are really, uh, you know, would find a great application both in garbage trucks. And the other one I think of is the U.S. Postal Service, where you you know the routes. It's the same route every day, so you can map it and understand it uh, at an expertise level. And, and from a you know, powertrain perspective, you know exactly how far that battery needs to last. Uh, so, you know, it's funny you mentioned that uh, fuel cells are also a big thing. And that was uh, one of my big takeaways from Torque Robotics uh, on the trip to New Mexico. Uh, is they don't believe in electrification for, for long-haul trucking. They're obviously involved with Daimler's efforts to, to use uh, hydrogen fuel cells, uh, which is one, and they have a very particular business model built around that. Uh, and also uh, another distinct business model, this is one of the interesting things to me, was how many different business models there are within you know, this automated trucking realm. Uh, and one that is very distinct is the one presented by Locomation, uh, where they are talking about operating convoys, one with, a, with an automated truck uh, following a human-driven truck. Uh, and that uh, helps them extend out, or, or kind of get around the current hours of service requirements that are in place. Uh, maybe that's a good cue to uh, we'll kick this off with our interview with, uh, which, with Finch Fulton from Locomation. He can tell us a lot more about that. Uh, he's got a really uh, interesting perspective and I think uh, I think anyone in the industry right now should listen to him kind of go through the regulatory requirements that are are actually going to be in place for the foreseeable future uh, that really impact automated trucking. So why don't we kick this off with Finch, and then we'll follow that with our, our conversation with Andrew Smith from Outrider. Finch, it's been a, a little less than a year since we've had you on the podcast last time. Welcome back. Thanks for having me. Yeah, December 27th, I went back and looked at the episode to make sure it actually happened. A year ago was a lot longer than a year ago. It, well, I think time has definitely uh, changed in the pandemic overall, but, but in that time, you're, you're in a very different role than you were the last time you were on. So uh, let's just kick this off. Tell us about what you're doing these days. Yeah, well, you know, since I'm no longer at the USDOT, everybody I know doesn't, isn't paid to laugh at my jokes anymore. So it's significantly different. Uh, but a year ago, we were talking about um, rulemakings, key things going on with automated vehicles, and the Automated Vehicle Comprehensive Plan, which we were releasing at that time. What's interesting about that and where I am today is, so in that plan, we outlined the six major use cases for automated vehicles and all the rulemakings and research going on that help enable them um, or remove barriers to their deployment across the U.S. As I was doing sort of my roadshow talking about these things, I ended up giving a talk to the Pittsburgh Technology Council, uh, and I got questions about what business model I actually thought would work and what made sense in terms of deploying automated vehicles in the U.S., what makes sense, what's legal, and what will make money. Uh, and I had never heard of locomation 
but I described the business model to the T apparently, and it's good because the CEO was in the virtual audience. And so he reached out to me afterwards and was like, hey, do you know who we are? What's going on? I was like, no, never heard of you. You must not be a real company. Um, and so, but like in learning about the model and talking to them, they were not a high profile company a year ago, but I mean, it makes a lot of sense. Human led two truck linked convoys are going to be able to deploy next year. They can deploy today, but they'll be able to, they'll be ready to deploy next year on the roads across the U.S. in compliance with FMCSA rules and lots of state and local rules. So it's actually really exciting. And we're going to be the first autonomous trucking company to have wide scale deployment across the U.S. And we deliver our first truck at the end of next year. All right. There's a lot to unpack in that. Uh, let me yeah. start with this. You, as you said, you're right. A lot has changed in a year. And I think uh, certainly a big picture part of that is a year ago, we were not talking about a, a supply chain crunch. We were not, we were talking about a driver shortage to some extent, but uh, mm -hmm. it was not making, you know, headlines on national news on a daily basis. So uh, how does locomotion kind of rise to, to more prominence? Uh, you know, as you said, probably companies certainly existed before, but not a lot of people knew locomotion, uh, including yourself, apparently. Uh, yeah. how, how does locomotion kind of rise in addressing those challenges? Yeah. So as you mentioned, there's an 80,000 truck driver shortage right now, according to the ATA. We've obviously seen freight demand increase and the expectations on turnaround for e-commerce time has really put strain on the supply chain as well. So regardless of any of the holdups at the ports, there's been a dramatic need for more people involved or to have greater efficiency with what we already have. So the trick with locomotion is every human driver is so limited to 11 hours a day. But when you have two truck link convoys, you can get on the freeway and then the driver in the lead vehicle just continues to drive like a normal human. The driver in the following vehicle, that vehicle is just reading the vehicle in front of it and the lead driver is controlling both vehicles so that driver is relieved of all responsibility and goes into the sleeper berth. So midway through the router at the appropriate time, they wake up, switch places, and that way they can extend their hours of service and they can use all 22 hours of the day. And so you can do a thousand mile route and get the truck driver home at the end of each night. And that's how we're organizing it with Wilson and PGT, our first two customers. You know, there's a huge truck driver shortage, but part of that problem is that many major companies see over 100% turnover in the truck drivers that they hire, they don't stay the full year. And so they have to keep turning through these drivers, which is not good for safety. It's not good for the quality of service or the quality of life. And it causes real problems. So the reasons truck drivers leave because they don't feel like they get paid enough. They're stuck on the road for weeks at a time. The whole situation set up for them to not be happy. That's what's causing this turn. So if you can organize these routes, truck drivers are generating twice the revenue because they're generating twice the load. They're able to get home every night, so they're not having these issues of loneliness and depression, not seeing their families. You can address the quality of life issues while improving the safety of their operations by bringing in these technologies. There's a lot of benefits, and that can directly hit at the problems that we see drivers facing today. So there's a huge opportunity here. You mentioned before your locomotion is deploying this next year commercially. Like This is not not far off. Yeah. This is not. We're not talking about a demonstration. It's not going to be ones or two trucks or 10 trucks up and down a route. We're going to be deploying in the hundreds. We deliver our first truck by the end of next year, deploying in the hundreds by 2023. What's sort in the of, thousands in the years following? What sort of operational area? Are you talking the whole United States? Or are you talking about a specific area that you'll operate in? What's, what's the uh, ODD here? You got to love that 
the customers decide where you go first. So we're starting in California and up and down I-5, California, Oregon, and Washington. Probably not the easiest place to start, but it means you have to have the highest standards around safety, around transparency, around emissions reduction. You have to be able to prove that the technology works and then it can deliver on the benefits that you're promising. And so we're starting probably in the hardest place to start, and that's going to be I-5. Our second customer is going to be deploying across the Midwest, the smart belt, if you will. Um, and so we're making sure we're talking to all of those states, making sure they see us coming, making sure we're compliant with all of the state and local rules, as well as the federal rules. So a lot of good conversations going on right now. And frankly, the most common reaction we get is, oh, you're serious. This is actually happening. It's not, you know, something that we're talking about years in the future. Okay, let's make sure that, you know, we still mean what we said years ago when we thought this was going to happen in 2020. What are, what are the federal and state rules that, that are applicable here? And is there a difference in your business model that, that makes you compliant where you see perhaps competitors who, who are not? That's a great question. And the answer is absolutely yes. Because we have a human-led convoy and there's a human in the loop at all times and in charge of operations, we can deploy. Uh, and even as you look at the FMCSA rules around things like inspection, maintenance, and repair, that rulemaking, I don't know when it's going to come out. It's obviously way past the timeline it was going to be um, from the previous administration. The current administration said it was going to come out in October. Uh, I, I don't get the sense that that's moving anytime soon. And keeping in mind, it's also opposed by the unions and the trial lawyers and a lot of the other groups. So we'll, we'll just see what that looks like. Um, but there's requirements for the human to do things beyond driving. Even let's say your truck gets, has a blowout or whatever and has to pull over on the side of the road. There's a requirement that within 10 minutes, somebody has to place flares or warning triangles behind and in front of the vehicle. You can't do that if you don't have a human in the loop. And so there's other examples like that, but there's not a way for our competitors to actually remove the humans from their operations. So there's not an incentive for anybody to use their technology the way there is for ours. I mean, you can get 20% fuel savings from us working with us and increased um, and increased uh, revenue from our operations, as well as some of the other benefits, they don't have that because they can't deploy legally under federal rules. Finch, so that's a good overview of the, uh, the federal situation. How about state by state? Are there some states that are friendlier to uh, automated trucking than others? And, and you mentioned California, and that does not strike me as one right now that, uh, you know, that has been what I would call business friendly thus far. Well, it's interesting, right? So yes, in states, you have to look at everything, uh, platooning rules, followed too closely rules. There's also rules around level four commercial motor vehicles. And we've been working with AUVSI to make sure that we have a map that's consistent, uh, that everybody understands what the rules are in every state. Because what I've seen is in the public reporting from our competitors, <laughs> there wasn't any sort of agreement. You would think that everybody had an understanding of where you could legally deploy, but everybody had different colors for which states they thought they could deploy in. So now we have a universal map that we've worked out with AUVSI where we've actually gotten them validated by the states where we say, it looks like we can deploy legally in your state. And they say, yes, that is correct. So some states have actively passed legislation and or regulation to enable it. Others may not have spoken on the subject, which means both that federal guidance prevails and that some localities can take steps to shape the deployments. You see that in New York City, for example. And some states have said, you know, some states are in process. California, the legislators passed a law saying put forth regulations to enable automated vehicle, commercial motor vehicles, but they only started with the vehicles under 10,000 pounds. They haven't gotten to the rulemaking 
for vehicles over 10,000 pounds. But again, those are vehicles that are intended to remove the driver. So if you have a driver in the loop, you're not prohibited. You're legal. I mean, you meet the intent of the law. You, are, you can deploy. So we're working with states to make sure they understand our approach and that they agree with our approach. Uh, we're having very good discussions. We feel like we're in a really good place. Um, as well as just making sure that the FMCSA understands what we're doing, as well as NHTSA, and to ensure we're compliant with everything there with hours of service. So, like I said, we're having good conversations, and uh, things are going well. So we've talked about automation and autonomy a little bit. Are the are the rules different for for platooning or convoying? Uh, and and maybe I'll back up even further. Is there a difference between a platoon and a convoy, and uh, how how does that work? Yeah. I mean, in general, there's a difference. Platooning has, the idea of platooning came around when there was going to be a DSRC mandate. So the digital connectivity, V2V, uh, vehicle-to-vehicle connectivity mandate that was going to be pushed. Well, that rulemaking never could be justified. Uh, they didn't have enough research to push it forward. And in the meantime, the FCC uh, took away more than half of the spectrum the DSRC was going to deploy to. And they pointed at cellular vehicle to everything technology, CV to X technology as the future for connectivity for vehicles and infrastructure. Uh, so you have these rules that you have to be compliant with. Platooning though was focused more on the distance between the vehicles to try and get that aerodynamic push. And these companies that were looking at this envisioned the model where everyone had it. And so you could sync up on the road and get fuel efficiencies on the road. The difference we have is it's not just the longitudinal control, the distance between the vehicles, it's also the ability to stay in lane or follow the leader in front of you. And so you have these lateral controls, the left and right controls uh, that are added to it, and that makes it a convoy. You also have the added understanding that we do a lot of work on the back end to organize these routes, which helps eliminate deadhead miles, things like that, empty miles. Uh, but also that's how we get those two truck link convoys uh, that can go up and down the interstate routinely because we do that back end organization. So you know you have that aerodynamic ability to get an 8% fuel increase just from the aerodynamics. And then when you add in the other technology, you get that 20% total uh, increase in fuel efficiency, reduction in operating costs, reduction in emissions. And by the way, I didn't even bring up the EPA and NHTSA rulemakings around heavy duty truck emissions, but not only are they tough to meet, the ones that have already been established coming up for 2027, the rulemaking for 2030 kicks off next year. You can't really meet the requirements with today's technology for 2027, you're definitely not going to be able to meet those requirements by 2030 unless you're investing in these technologies that can actually deliver those emissions reductions the way Locomation can. And Locomation recently commissioned uh, an independent study of the fuel savings involved in automated trucks overall and, and convoys in particular. What, uh, what were the results from that? Yeah, so it was actually a blockbuster report. So one of the issues that you have in industry is you have all these studies that you see and you have to try and figure out how to talk through them and help people understand them. So what we did is we hired an independent third party to come in and take a look at our approach and take a look at what we're doing. It's a comprehensive approach and it's done so that it can be in line with scope one and scope three reductions as the UN considers them. And as the Security and Exchange Commissions, it's the model that they're looking at for the future to prevent things like greenwashing from people making claims that can't be validated uh, or misrepresenting claims to investors. So everyone has to adhere to, the, will have to adhere to protocols like these in the future, but we went ahead and got it done now. And we think anybody that is making these sort of claims should go ahead and get a third party independent comprehensive assessment done. But what they found is 
overall, our approach, combination of technologies and how we look to deploy with our customers, reduces the greenhouse gas footprint of freight transportation by 22%, operating costs reduced by 19%, fuel consumption reduced by 21%, um, ozone formation 22%. In general, you're seeing a one-fifth reduction in fuel burn, emissions, costs, all of this is being driven, and it's the best option out there. And they said this for greenhouse gas abatement. So what that means is everything that it takes to reduce your carbon footprint, because the main focus on this is better utilizing the assets you have and getting more out of these assets and better fuel efficiency and better organization, we got a 10 out of 10, which is the highest possible score. And they don't hand these things out like candy. Only one other company has gotten anything like this. So it is a big deal. And it makes a dramatic difference for our carriers, shippers that use them, and for investors as they look at the, at the future and the types of companies they can invest in. People have to do this if they want to be able to get uh, to deliver the uh, reductions in the benefits that they're promising. So we're happy to be the first to do a report of this kind. What's interesting about that to me, and it's probably worth underscoring, is that that obviously the transportation sector overall drives a lot of the greenhouse gas emissions. And, and trucking is, is a, a big part of that. You know, it's, it's funny to see like people try and squeeze out more miles from, you know, passenger cars overall, or maybe, you know, the, the plug-in hybrids in particular. But, but if, if there's going to be gains made, it's going to be starting with the, the dirtiest parts of the yeah. transportation industry first. Well, and you're right. So of all the greenhouse gas emissions, transportation is one-fourth. Of all transportation emissions, roughly one-fourth. Of all transportation emissions, roughly a fourth of that is trucks. Now, trucks, there's one one hundredth the number of trucks. So there's 100 times more passenger vehicles than trucks. Even trucks still generate that much more of the greenhouse gas emissions. So you're right. If you want to go to where you have the biggest impact, go to where the biggest problem is. And so this is something you can take that massive amount uh, of the emissions that come from the freight sector and come from trucking and reduce it by a fifth. Those are dramatic impacts that everyone can feel and see and make a real difference. I think we were looking at with just our first two customers alone, it's the equivalent of reducing 30,000 passenger vehicles from the road every year. That's how big of an impact it makes. Fish, I know we were talking about business models before, and I just kind of wanted to uh, take your temperature overall in the tr self-driving truck area. There's, there's a lot of different companies that uh, – that have different models. It's very different than like robo taxi in that sense. Uh, you've explained yeah. the locomation model quite well. Uh, I'm wondering if you see, you know, others that have a role to play, like is, is it better to start with interstates only and, and put a human in at, at truck ports or uh, do you have to be capable of going dock to dock first? Do you, do you see companies, you know, deploying as you know, you mentioned one, uh, you know, both in the U S and China, or you have to focus on one area first? Like what, what do you see as the, the best way to approach this beyond the, the locomation way? If there is a, you know, something in second place. <laughs> oh, there is no other best. It's just that. Uh, but no, so it's interesting because you have this approach. You have your, um, there's, I guess, three main categories. You have the companies that started out focusing on passenger vehicles. And we're talking people that are world leaders in the development of that technology. They decided they had to go make money at some point because they've had all these billions of dollars in investments. And the market for passenger vehicles is one-tenth the market of trucking, right? And so they've pivoted and they're saying, oh, no, no, we're doing trucks too. Now, what the studies have shown is only 30 to 40% of that technology translates. So they're having to redo a lot of things and they have a lot of technical debt that they have to refigure to try and convert to the trucking front. So 
you've got those companies. You also have the companies that started out trucking centric, right? And so there's a lot of good players in both of these spaces, a lot of very smart companies and very smart people working there. So they're in good shape. They're also pretty much looking at a hub to hub model to start out with. Um, and they don't have a way to remove the human drivers, right? So the technology, a lot of their partnerships are talking about having a, a, a production grade platform by 2025 at best. It was 23. Now it got pushed to 25. You got to have redundant braking. You've got to have redundant steering. You've got to have the throttle systems in place so you can actually remove the driver outside of just a testing platform. That's looking like 2025. And the rulemakings that will allow the truck driver to be out, you got to have the Biden-Harris administration saying, we're going to pass a rulemaking that the Teamsters oppose going into either a midterm or presidential election. So I don't know when that rulemaking is going to move forward. I'm optimistic that it will, because there's a lot of good that can come from those rulemakings that were started in the previous administration, whoever they were. But they have to actually be carried through. Then you have your human-centric companies. You have Plus and you have Locomation. They can deploy today, and you're seeing it. The difference that between those companies, um, beyond other differences, is that Locomation also has the additional benefits that come from our model. That so comes from the back-end organization. That comes from the actual aerodynamic benefits of platooning. So both companies can deploy, but we can deploy with twice the efficiencies, uh, which we've proven with this third-party study. So you're going to see the market at some point shift and pivot and say, oh, God, now we have to make another shift to this sort of human-centric approach to try and take an evolutionary step to get to that fully automated road. But their business models aren't set up to that. That isn't what they've pitched to investors. So it's going to be interesting to see companies probably pivot to a model more like ours in the coming years. Um, but, and I recently wrote about this, <laughs> Department of Transportation and uh, Department of Labor are looking at changes in the way drivers are paid to move away from a per mile model to a time-based model. One of the reasons they're looking at doing this is because of the fear that we've seen in articles or the Journal Review called Sweatshop on Wheels there's this idea that you can put a truck driver in a truck and not pay them until you get the first mile, last mile, or if you have an inspection, maintenance, repair, the other things required of a human. So they'd be stuck in a box, not, not really working and not getting paid for that time. DOT sees this, DOL sees this. Uh, again, I just wrote an article about this. So they're looking at that as well. So unless you're baking this into the foundation of your approach, you're not going to be in a place to where you can take advantage of this technology. Just before we let you go, uh, where can we find the article that you're talking about? Locomation.ai under news or blogs, actually. But for you, I'll send you a link. Excellent. We'll see if we can uh, make sure we can add it to the uh, podcast here. Uh, thank you so much for joining us this morning. It's great to hear about the uh, you know the your your expertise in the federal uh, rules and uh, regulatory environment, and to hear about what's going on with with Locomation in particular too. Yeah, man, it's good to see you. Hopefully we'll get to see each other in person soon. Thanks again to Finch Fulton for the uh, conversation on the regulatory environment for automated trucking and the specifics on what's going on at Pittsburgh-based locomation. Uh, we're going to take a quick break from uh, for a word from our sponsor here, and then we'll be back with the second half of our podcast dedicated to automated trucking. Uh, and we'll be talking with Andrew Smith from Outrider. So stay tuned. This episode is sponsored by Gentex Corporation, a global technology company that supplies nearly every major automaker with advanced electronic features that optimize driver vision and enhance driving safety. Digital vision features like Gentex Full Display Mirror 
an intelligent rear vision system that uses a custom camera and mirror integrated video display to optimize a vehicle's rearward view. Connected car features like Homelink, the industry's most widely used and trusted vehicle-based wireless control system that uses radio frequency and or cloud-based wireless control to operate garage doors, gates, home lighting, thermostats, security systems, and other compatible home automation devices. All from three buttons, smartly integrated into your vehicle's interior. And dimmable glass features like automatic dimming rear view mirrors that use sophisticated light sensors, proprietary gels, and microprocessor-based algorithms to darken the mirror to the precise level necessary to eliminate dangerous rear view mirror glare. The development and delivery of these features have improved driver convenience and safety around the world. Visit www.gentex.com to check out the latest in digital vision, connected car, and dimmable glass technologies. And now to our conversation with Andrew Smith, CEO of Outrider. Andrew, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. Thank you for having me here today. Well, I'm so happy to talk with you today. I am so excited about uh, learning more about Outrider. For many of our listeners, this is probably the first time they've um, gotten, gotten a chance to get to know your company. So can, wondering if we can just start off with a little basic background about the company. You are the CEO and founder. And can you tell us about um, how this came to be? Absolutely. So Outrider is automating yard operations. And basically, distribution yards are this critical link in the global supply chain that everyone's hearing so much about today that is the transition point for about 10 billion tons of freight in the U.S. market alone, getting between what happens in a factory or a warehouse and over-the-road transportation. So Outrider was founded on day one to reinvent this linkage in the supply chain because everything that happens within these distribution centers has a huge ripple effect on people operating inside a factory or warehouse or with the over-the-road transportation. If, if an over-the-road truck can't pick up the right trailer or drop off the right trailer at the right time, that causes backload, backlog and inefficiency on what's happening with moving goods. So uh, what we're doing is extremely relevant to, to the challenges we face today. Uh, you asked, Leslie, you asked a question about the background of the company. Um, my passion for the last 25 years has been the commercialization of environmental technology, and this took me on a couple different paths, um, but uh, I was uh, I spent a lot of time in the outdoors, and uh, going all the way back to sixth grade, I got a car and driver magazine, and I really got into Ferraris, Lamborghinis, and Porsches, and I had a science teacher in seventh grade who said that Ferraris, Lamborghinis, and Porsches got bad fuel economy. And so I kid you not, in, in eighth grade, I, I decided there was a huge opportunity to build great technology that was more sustainable. And um, that took me in a number of different directions. Uh, but after working on a first company that made long haul tractor trailers more aerodynamic and fuel efficient, I spent time in these distribution yards where most people don't spend a lot of time. And I saw big idling diesel trucks, a lot of congestion and complete inefficiency and safety hazards and realize the new normal would be both autonomous and electric. So Andrew, can you paint us a picture of, um, let's say I go to one of these distribution yards, what do your vehicles do there? What do they look like and um, how does this work? So 
basically everything that you eat, wear, or build with passes through one of these distribution yards or another. And what happens on a daily basis is you have over-the-road trucking transportation that will pull into a distribution yard and eventually drop off a trailer. And then you have these vehicles called yard trucks within the, the distribution yard that shuffle those trailers between parking spots and loading docks. In the typical case of, say, a supermarket chain, they'll have an over-the-road truck drop off one of these trailers, and you'll use a yard truck to move that and back it to a loading dock to be cleaned out of crates and cardboard. Then it will be staged where clean trailers get staged. Then it will be moved again later in the day to be reloaded. Then it will be moved again to be staged for those over-the-road trucks. If the right trailer is not in the right place at the right time, it means that over-the-road truck coming to pick it up can't find it, and it's sitting driving around in that parking lot instead of moving the freight. If it's not placed at the right dock, it means the people on the inside sitting in forklifts are literally waiting for it to be there. So that's, that's what we're automating. And you ask what the technology does. Um, here's, here's sort of the, the magic that the Outrider engineering team has created and, and which is being used right now. Uh, essentially, uh, with the click of a button through our management software interface, you can autonomously move a approximately 20,000-pound autonomous electric truck which will autonomously and robotically hitch to a trailer. It has a robotic arm mounted on the back of it that will see and use machine learning to analyze the front face of the trailer to connect a pressurized air hose to that trailer to release the parking brakes. It will then move that trailer through the congested yard environment and using a combination of cameras and laser sensors, it will back that 53-foot-long trailer with multi-centimeter accuracy to a loading dock and just to be clear, what we've fully automated for the first time in history is done literally billions of times a year, that movement of trailers back and forth. Andrew, so you're not, it seems like there's a component of this where you're not just taking out a human and putting in an automated system, but you need to make these yard operations work in a, a smarter, more efficient fashion. So the automation needs to, to do that as well. That's exactly right. There, there's a lot of talk about Robo taxis and, and over the road autonomous trucking, which is all you know exciting work that's being done. But in this yard environment, what we realized these early insights was it's not just about automating the truck, but all the other manual processes that take place across thousands of distribution yards in North America alone on a daily basis. And so that is the dispatching of the truck to move requested trailers with precision and at specific points in time over and over and over again. And the reality is, is you know, it, it, the, this is one of those classic dull, dirty, dangerous, and highly repetitive jobs. Um, and so, uh, yes, over time, as this technology phases out, there's less people driving these trailers back and forth to loading docks. But the real efficiency is allocating those people to higher value tasks inside the warehouse or with over-the-road transportation and enhancing the safety of the yard and the efficiency of moving trailers back and forth between the places they need to go. You mentioned that you had a background in long haul trucking and trying to make it more aerodynamically efficient. I'm wondering if there was a time that you saw automation in, in long haul trucking as a prospective business and, and how did you ultimately kind of drill down on, on the truck yard as the place that you wanted to make your bet? So, uh, so yeah, my, my first company experience in the trucking space 
focused on a really simple fact that the least aerodynamic and therefore least fuel efficient shape to move down the highway at 60 miles an hour was a big rectangular box. And yet everything we move is in these big rectangular boxes going fast down the highway. So the first company um, was a, a catalyst in what you see out in the market with either these skirts that keep air from getting uh, caught underneath the trailer or these trailer tail or tail fairing devices that streamline and reduce the suction drag at the back of the trailer. And I learned a lot about the market. After, sell, after that business was successfully acquired, I was invited to be part of multiple autonomous trucking startup uh, ventures. And as I did my work, I realized there was this huge opportunity that, that essentially there was incredibly exciting things happening, but the timeline was, uh, I guess there was more hype, you can say, than, uh, than rigorous um, commitments to timeline. And we realized there was this opportunity to automate tens of thousands of vehicles in the short term that are in low speed, confined environments uh, that don't have to do deal with regulatory issues or you know, mothers with strollers crossing the street. So um, we saw this as a huge opportunity to deliver the value of autonomy, uh, accelerate the transition from polluting diesel trucks to electric vehicle platforms that are superior in multiple ways, including in uh, their safety with regards to autonomy. Um, and uh, create a, a company that could be a real leader in this space. Andrew, I wanted to step back a moment and just um, find out a little bit more about just how extensive your operations are. Um, where are you operating now? And also, um, Crunchbase at least reports that you've had two funding rounds of what uh, totaling about $118 million. I'm wondering, are you still in a fundraising mode and any plans, for example, to uh, go public or go to a SPAC route or something like that? So uh, Outrider uh, has received investment of $118 million from top-tier investors. Um, we're obviously working in an incredibly hot space um, with a lot of interest. We're not announcing any future plans at this time, but you can be rest assured that uh, we, are, uh, we are moving very aggressively with the success that's, that's taken place. Um, and this ties right into your question about sort of where we are. Um, we are... Uh, made an announcement just recently about the first fully autonomous thousand production moves um, at one of our customers that we've released to the market, Georgia Pacific. Uh, again, this is with a touch of a button, able to move uh, 30 to 50,000 pound trailers around their yard on a, on a daily basis. Um, we will be, uh, we're working with uh, multiple Fortune 500 enterprises. Um, we will be expanding from that first thousand move announcement exponentially to tens of thousands of production moves in 2022 as we harden the system uh, and uh, begin our scaling process um, with these large logistics dependent enterprise customers. What does that production process look like, Andrew, um, you know, as far as timeframes or facilities uh, and how does it scale up? Yeah. You can put some numbers on that. that that's excellent. So uh, there are over 50,000 of these yard vehicles operating in uh, the North American market, about double that worldwide. So about 100,000 vehicles like this, uh, idling diesel engines, uh, waiting for, you know, either trying to hire someone to drive it or there's someone moving a trailers back and forth. That's, that's sort of the, the market for this very early stage. Um, the other market that we look at is, is the next logical step from there is shuttling uh, uh, freight between uh, warehouses and port terminals and intermodal uh, rail operations, for example. So huge, huge market with 
massive multi-billion dollar benefit for the overall economy by driving our technology into those markets. Um, uh, you'd ask a little bit about what, what these production moves look like. Uh, just as an example, um, the, uh, the warehouse management system at a company like Georgia Pacific is making a request right into what we call our management software mission control for the outrider system. So there's actually a request that says, hey, we need these three trailers at these three loading docks. That's fed into our system. Uh, and then the autonomous vehicle uh, fully autonomously goes, moves to, recognizes, connects to, and move these trailers and reports back through the software um, and to the operations inside the warehouse that those trailers are in position to, uh, to align all aspects and, and really create this critical link in the supply chain. We hear a lot about supply chain problems, obviously, right now. It's kind of funny how that, uh, you know, has been a major storyline here in 2021. How, how does this work in ports as opposed to a, a truck yard? Is it different or is it largely the same? Uh, how, how can you help unclog the ports? Yeah, so all of the technology we've been building is extremely modular, and we have a, a huge amount of intellectual property because of this very specific use case that we've now been focused on for years. Uh, so these technologies are very relevant to port applications, very relevant to, I mentioned, the intermodal rail applications, and very relevant to the inland distribution centers that are receiving and, and moving those containers or, um, or, or trailers that are, that are coming from the port application. So uh, anywhere you need to move uh, a, a diversity of big boxes um, to keep the supply chain going and, and where you want enhanced safety, efficiency, and sustainability, that's where we're playing. Andrew, what is your competition right now? I mean, is your competition just the traditional manual, or I shouldn't say manual, but the traditional way of, of, of moving these trucks around? Or are there others who are trying to automate? And if not, why aren't they in this space? So, uh, Outrider certainly has been the pioneer in autonomous yard operations. Again, it was a very unique perspective on the world to bring together a group that was focused on autonomous vehicles, as well as robotic manipulation, as well as cloud-based uh, compute, uh, machine learning, and then deep logistics and trucking background. So it was really, Outrider has a very unique team, over 150 people, and the only, uh, the only company that we know of in the world um, that another announcement we did recently that, that we've opened a fully dedicated advanced testing facility where we have multiple vehicles uh, running 16 hours a day, soon to be 24 hours a day, um, to validate everything that is being done in the field with our customers. So one of the reasons there's not much competition, Leslie, is uh, this is a really unique application that requires a lot of technology to be brought together. And most companies in this space, you know, take an example, an autonomous trucking, over-the-road trucking company, We've been contacted by the majority of all over-the-road autonomous trucking companies to partner because they want to drop off a trailer and then not deal with the complexity and logistics inside the yard space. So there's a handful of diversified robotics companies that have had challenges in other space bringing products to market that have now said, hey, we're going to get into autonomous yards as well since Outriders sort of created this new market segment. Um, but we feel that we're, we're several years ahead. Um, in many aspects of the technology. Um, another thing that's been talked about is um, uh, teleoperations, which is an, an exciting technology to remotely control a vehicle. Um, but just as an order of magnitude, uh, all the things we, we've been speaking about, 
Um, uh, these are fully autonomous moves, and, and we have ways for humans to oversee these systems, but um, on a daily basis, you're going to see millions and millions of fully autonomous um, trailer moves when we think about the future of the market over the next five years. That's interesting that you bring up teleoperation, Andrew. Uh, obviously, it's, it's something I think of a controversial topic in the, the over-the-road uh, or, or robo-taxi markets or applications for, for automation. Uh, can your, your overseers, if that's the right word, can the people back at Mission Control, can they either issue um, you know, certain commands or maps to, to a vehicle or, or can they take direct control? Uh, yeah, so, so we have the ability to provide assistance to our systems, monitor our systems, um, but I, our systems don't need, we have enough features that you don't have to train somebody to steer a vehicle around. Um, so it, uh, just as an order of magnitude, this is, you know, 30 to 50 times more cost effective for operating the yard versus having a trained operator in some location that's got to have situational awareness and, and move something around the yard. So, um, so yeah, big, big difference there. Uh, we've got the capabilities to unstick something, but it's with the press of a button as opposed to taking control of a joystick. I see, okay. Uh, final question for you, Andrew. You've mentioned that you've uh, had a lot of conversations with, with some of the over-the-road autonomous trucking companies. I'm curious, there's, there's so many different business models uh, when it comes to trucking. Uh, you know, some people are talking about switching to human drivers at, at truck ports and doing interstate only. Some are focused on one particular area of the country. Others are are focused on the U.S. and China, et cetera, et cetera. I can go on. You know all the different uh, yes. niches here. I'm curious, just from your position, do you see one of those uh, as more plausible or, or accelerating faster than the others? Um, so we certainly have close relationships uh, with these players. And, uh, you know, the way I would summarize it is I – there's a lot of exciting things happening. People are doing a lot of different sort of, we won't call them tricks, but shortcuts to get technology out creating value on, on the open road. Um, I, 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 I have not publicly disclosed a, uh, a, 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 a favorite in the horse race there. Um, you know, I think one of the differences and one of the challenges for all those companies is um, once you're out there, if you have more than one company on the same lane, the differentiation between whether it's, company one or, or two is, is sort of like in the trucking industry. Like how do you differentiate those services? Um, so it'll be interesting to see how this evolves. Um, our objective is to uh, be an excellent partner. And uh, as, as, as we sometimes say, you know, people are investing billions of dollars inside the warehouse. There's billions of dollars going into this over the road transportation. Uh, we need to have that streamlined link between those two investments that these large companies are making. Will you have partners with, uh, you know, companies on, on either end of that, either in the warehouse or on the uh, public roads? Uh, yes, we'll, we'll absolutely, uh, we'll absolutely lend a helping hand and, and, and partner with the best of the best. Um, no, uh, no specific announcements there, uh, but, uh, but we're, we're certainly very focused on having an excellent partner ecosystem um, as we move the freight of our, of our customers. And I think one other thing that's important to us is, uh, we mentioned this focus on sustainability. Um, we're also very eager to work with partners to look not only at an automated supply chain, but a more sustainable one. Um, it's really exciting to have same-day delivery, 
But if the cost of same-day delivery is opening our packages in 120-degree heat domes, that doesn't do anyone much good. Um, so that's another thing we really look for with both the customers we're working with um, and the, uh, the over-the-road transportation companies is making sure we, we drive towards an autonomous, uh, much safer, and also much more sustainable way of moving goods around the earth. Landro, well, I hope um, you will keep us posted on, on uh, what's happening with Outrider. It's certainly been great to speak with you. That's, that's great. Well, really appreciate it. And uh, uh, if you or your kids at some point in the future want to press a button and move a 40,000-pound trailer with perfect precision, we'd, we'd love to host you out in Colorado. Our thanks once again to Andrew Smith and to Finch Fulton. Um, really, really great show today, Pete. Uh, we want to just remind everybody that if you want to see our Shift magazine, which is dedicated to uh, mobility innovations and trucking, you can go to autonews.com slash shift, and uh, you'll be able to read all about it, so to speak. So thanks to everyone for listening, and please join us again next week.